Well, I hope by, by now he's no stranger to you. Uh, Clint Wilkie is here to bring God's word for us, to bring the message to us this morning. And he is someone that I've gotten to know over the last couple of years. I'm looking forward to getting to know better now that we live uh, in closer proximity to one another. So, uh, But he has been a pastor for 20 years. I know him mostly as the founding pastor of Christ Covenant Church in Hernando, uh, but he's been in you know little bitty places that you've never heard of, like First Pres Jackson and you know other places like that. So we're very grateful and thankful to have you this morning, Clint. Thank you. Yeah. I'm blessed. Yeah. Thank you. Indeed, welcome to you, Ashley, and to your family. And uh, good morning, Grace Community. It's good to be with you on this Lord's Day, and we do celebrate you mothers today who are here to worship. Our God, would you turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1? 1 Samuel 1 is our text today as we, as we think about um, who our God is. As one evangelical pastor has said very simply and statedly as he's thought about the biographies of those who have gone before us in the past, it is hard to go to heaven in America. It is hard to go to heaven in America because we have so very much Our comfort, the distractions of our phones, our busy lives lead us often to uprootedness in our hearts and our minds. And we wonder, is God still speaking? Is he still with us? Can we trust him? Can we take him at his word? If it's true of Christians in general, surely it's true of you who have mothers, are mothers, who want to be mothers, right? The expectations that you have to be a woman in this day and age are enormous. And much of them are just idolatrous lies. Many things which we pass down from generation to generation that have nothing to do with God or nothing to do with his promises. One of the greatest fears all Christians have is, is what? It's, it's failure. <laughs> We're afraid to fail at any level at anything. And yet the Christian life is about failure so we might trust in God's promises. When we come to a text like this and we step back to the promises of God some 1000 BC, we come to a place in God's redemptive history where they are longing for a king. And Samuel will be raised up through the, through the birthing of Hannah's, the gift of, of Hannah giving birth to Samuel, and he will be the one, the great prophet and, and, a, and a mini king of some respects to, to anoint a king to come. Oh, how that speaks of a, a desire of us all to have a king that is coming. And through the, through the tragedies of the book of Judges, what people were doing right in their own eyes and chasing after the things of their world at that time, we too do often things that are right in our own eyes, chasing after the things of this world. And you read through the book of Ruth and you come to 1 Samuel and you'll wonder and ask the question, how is God faithful? And we were reminded that we have a past. We're rooted to people who have experienced upheaval, brokenness, and difficulty in their lives. Particularly as we look at the life of Hannah and the events surrounding the birth of Samuel, we see a woman who struggles deeply with trusting and knowing her God, and yet... Her struggle is a result of because the very fact she is seeking to trust and love her God. Let's, let's go and look at God's word now. First Samuel, read the entire chapter. Hang in there with me. Many crazy names, lots of movement in this text. But hopefully these words will be words that will root you and ground you in hope that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. 
1 Samuel 1, there was a certain man of Ramathim Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram. Joram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, had children, but Hannah had no children. Now, this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were the priests of the Lord. On that day when Elkanah sacrificed, he gave, he, he would give portions to Peninnah and his wife and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to Hannah, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give you give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And she continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth, and Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved. Her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And he said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put, put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, no, my Lord, I am a, a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither of strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as, worth, as a worthless woman, for all all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then, uh, then uh, Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant you petition that you have, have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord when they went back to their house at Ramah and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Samuel, for he said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Then Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she, till she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with, along with her three-year-old bull, uh, if a flower, a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young, 
And they slaughtered the bull and they brought it to the ch- brought the child to Eli. And he said, "Oh my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord." For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord, and as long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. This is the very word of God for the people of God. Let's pray and ask him to bless his word to us. Father, we come this morning, and we, we can say in many of our prayers, we come with great anxiety and vexation. That we are a people who are often found as strangers in a strange land. That we often find our souls to be dry and barren. But we pray that this morning you would restore unto us the joy of your salvation. That you would enlarge our hearts to receive your grace. That you would give us eyes of faith to believe in your promises once again. We thank you that you promise to be our God as we seek to be your people. And because of that, we pray that you give us great hope and make much of Jesus, not only in the way in which we worship today, but how we worship you throughout the rest of the week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is right, I think, to today to honor uh, women. It is to honor mothers. It's to honor the idea of how God created uh, man and woman in his own image, right? To celebrate the dedication of our mothers and what they have done in our lives. We often take the grace of mothers, like we take God's grace for granted, don't we? All their devotion, all those times of washing and cleaning and changing diapers and all those various things that mothers are called and employed and struggle to do, they receive our adoration and encouragement so very often, don't they? But we don't. We take the women in our lives for granted, right? Men, you go off uh, your, your wives finally go off for a, a, a woman's getaway weekend or a treat or something like that. And you realize, oh man, uh, please don't ever leave again. How can we negotiate this? Can we get some more of that? I can't do this by myself. And so often mothers have to do a lot by themselves. But you know, we don't, we're not all perfect mothers and not many of us. Maybe, maybe some of you didn't have great mothers. Maybe we come from broken, broken homes and we were not nurtured and loved. And we are trying to find it, we're finding it hard as mothers and wives maybe to nurture and love those around us. And I hope this text moves us not to trying to understand womanhood or motherhood more, but to really understand the fatherhood of God. Because he says of himself in the Old Testament that even a woman, a mother may forget her nursing child, but um, the Lord God himself will never forget his people, his children. And so what we are hopefully looking at this morning is how God is really our hope, how he is, he is the grace that we need and that his redeeming grace is what we desperately need in our broken and fallen lives and families and the world in which we live. We need to once again see God's dedication towards us, even through the eyes of Hannah herself. It's Hannah in this passage, right, who was a woman, although barren, was hopeful Although she was broken, she remained worshipful. She kept looking to God in the best of times and indeed the worst of times in her life. And her very name means grace, unmerited favor of the Lord God himself. Her very name strikes at our hearts with this idea of grace. And in Hannah, we see God's dedication to his people and his redeeming love for us. And as a, as a people who are broken by sin, which causes real barrenness in our souls, God is dedicated 
to us as his people through the proclamation and the good news of his word. So that when we talk about Christian dedication or service, we are talking about a life that is driven and shaped by the character of God and his grace towards us. The very redemption that he gives to us in this life through the promises of his word. And like Hannah, we, met, we must remember that the nature of God's redemption is filled with grace. That God is buying back lost things and healing and fixing broken things. That's the idea of redemption. If you want to summarize the entire Bible in the Lord Jesus Christ himself, you can summarize it as this. There's a people in need of redemption and then there's a God who is redeeming a people. And he's doing that through his word fulfilled by his son, the Lord Jesus. So let's consider Hannah's life in three basic ways that I think will help us find hope in God's word and see that he is the one dedicated to redeeming us in all of our sin and brokenness in this life. The first thing I want us to see is in Hannah that there is this gift of affliction, the gift of affliction. We see that in the opening verses. Hannah had no children, the text tells us. Hannah's circumstances reveal a broken heart. Now, to not have children in this day and age was as if God had abandoned you, right? We can read the text, we've read the text, and we see that the circumstances of her life led to all kinds of jeering and tragedy with the other wife, Peninnah, the other wife, Elkanah who would mock her constantly because she had no children, even though Elkanah says, you know, you know how much I love you. Aren't I worth 10 sons? She's going, no, you're not worth, no, no, you are not worth 10 sons. That's what every man's hopeful is like. You don't really need anybody else but me, honey, right? No, no, I want a son. And surely God had put that in her heart, but we're told in the text, how many times were you told in the text, the Lord closed her womb, the Lord closed her womb, the Lord closed her womb, right? It's, it's the Lord's work in her life that is creating the circumstances that seem to be burying her in brokenness. And the, in the context in which she lives, having children meant everything to that place and culture. But we see the difficulty. We see the circumstances that God has led to, uh, that, have, that has come to her in her life. And, and we have to say, this, is, this was God's doing. God had led her to this place God would lead her to the place of prayer. And, and you need to remember that, that this, is a, this is a difficult time in the life of Israel. There had not been a prophet. The word of the Lord had been, we would say, shut up, had not been given out. And so people often find themselves in the Bible in desperate circumstances where they do not hear from the Lord God himself. And so the life of Hannah's circumstances shows us once again that God is at work even in the circumstances he leads us into. She had no children. We can relate to this in many different ways in our own hearts and lives, right? The idolatry of parenting, the idolatry of accomplishment, the idolatry of being husband and wife, all the kinds of things. And then then God brings circumstances into our life. He challenges those very things he's called us to be and we often say to him, you've abandoned me. You don't listen to me. You don't know me. But here we see that God is going to use these circumstances to raise up a great prophet in the land of Israel. God will not be silent. He will speak and he will use the prayers of his people to send forth his word as promises to them in the life of Samuel 
and the monarchy that's about to reign in Israel. Hannah's circumstances reveal a broken heart. She had no children. Furthermore, Hannah's heart revealed a deeper need. And in verse 8, we see this again. Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? See, our hearts are not easily satisfied, are they? Even though he listed all the things, she was given double portions. She, she lived in a wealthy man's home. She experienced God's grace in so many providential and circumstantial ways. It was not enough. She was blessed by God with many provisions and even love in her family, but she had no children. And our circumstances, you see, always are changing, aren't they? They're always changing, but the needs of our hearts never change. We constantly need to have God address our hearts by his word and by his spirit. Simply the the blessings of life are not enough because we need the one who gives us those blessings. And yet, in our life, in our culture, it's easy for us to exchange, Paul would say, the truth of God for a lie, worship created things rather than created creator, or we worship the blessings more than the one who blesses us, right? And this is a call back to faith and to trust that God is working most deepest and darkest circumstances that we might face. You see, our hearts need deep healing more than mere emotional healing or support. Our hearts need God himself. And we see here that God's purposes and his redemption are not just being worked out in our, in our circumstances of life, but they're being worked out in our hearts. Again, remember what the text said. The Lord had closed her womb. He was at work doing this. Now this morning you can ask the question, right? Do do you see the circumstances in your life as deeper issues of your own hearts? And how often we have prayed, right, that God would change our circumstances. And rarely do we pray that God would change our hearts, right? But God moves circumstances into our lives, specifically like in the life of Hannah, to expose the need of his grace. Even her name meant grace and she still needed his grace. God moves those circumstances into our lives to expose our hearts how we desperately need the God of all grace. We need him. We need his presence. We need the privilege of walking in truth and standing with him because he stands with us. You see, it's not mere causation of the circumstances or the avenues that reveal our deeper need of God. It's, it's God who reveals our need of him, his grace. We would call this, right, this is what we experience. And if we could do a little kind of a little uh, parting testimony time in the fellowship hall. And if I was to spend some time with you and I'd figure out what are the real pains and struggles of your life, and we could meet one-on-one and talk through that, there would, there would be huge circumstances, things that have happened that have altered the trajectory of your life, we might say. And yet many of you would say, those are the very things that God has used to bring me here this morning. That he's afflicted my life and my health and my finances so that I might find him to be what I really need. Not the stuff of life, but the savior of sinners. See, this is the gift of affliction we see in Hannah's life. The second thing I want us to see is that for Hannah, there is the grace of prayer. There is the gift of affliction, but there's also the grace of prayer. She was deeply honest before God. Notice the posture of her heart. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. 
We would say in her prayer time, she didn't pull any punches with God. She knew the circumstances of Israel. She knew her own circumstances and she was dead right honest with God. How many of you, including myself, are this honest before God? How many of us will spend our time in prayer complaining and shouting and screaming out to God? Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we be like Hannah with many of the circumstances and our own failures and the failures of this life? Cry out to God with all honestly about where we really think we are. You know, God, God can handle a people who cry out to him. Because the reality is, is, are we crying out to him? Are we seeking his face, the face of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? At least Hannah allows us to say, let's be honest. Let's not use religious language or, or parlor room language to kind of couch the way we think about. Let's be honest about who we are before God like Hannah. Who was honest about her affliction, yet the great hope of the text is she keeps on praying. She keeps on praying in distress and bitterness and difficulty. She knows that God sees and knows all things before, before a word would be on her lips. We would use the New Testament language to say. So why? She does not hide. She is honest. As D.A. Carson once said rightly, you've not prayed to the Lord until you've wept in distress and anguish over your circumstances like Hannah or over your sin that affects so many areas of our lives. Have we wept with great distress and anguish over our circumstances, over our sin, and over our unbelief? The God of the Bible says, you have the grace of prayer. You have the privilege to enter in before a God who knows you better than you know yourself, who knows what words you will say before you speak them, and yet he invites them in, and Hannah runs to her God in prayer. She was deeply honest before God. The posture of her heart was honest. The second thing we see, furthermore, is that she was utterly dependent upon God. We see the direction of her heart. Verse, verse 11 tells us, and she vowed a vow. This is strong language. Vowing a vow is, is to give her life away with the very word she is using. She is going to be bound by those words. We can read later on in the text, right? Her husband, Elkanah, even says, now, you're not coming, but you're going to keep the vow you vowed, right? Because their whole family's life was riding on the vow she was vowing at this moment in time as she skipped over worship to wean her child. She took this vow very seriously. She calls him, O Lord of hosts, if you will look on the affliction of your servant and remember me. How, how beautifully triumphant the language is. The Lord God of hosts is, is to call God a, a majestic and mighty cosmic ruler in that day. The one who rules heaven and earth. The one who is sovereign over all things. Would you please remember me in my affliction? And see here in her prayer that we see that she is bold before God and specific about his grace. She's asking for this child. But her prayer places hope in God's redeeming purposes. She doesn't trust just her words. She trusts the character, the mercy, the redeeming love of her God. She has a heart that is directed, that is looking to a God who promises to keep his word as she seeks. If he would only bless her, she would seek to keep her word before the Lord and dedicate her child Samuel 
for the worship and service of the temple of the living God. Ralph Davis in his commentary on 1 Samuel talks about the unnerving, disturbing times of praying with his mother. He was one of five children. We got to know him quite well in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And uh, he's sort of a, a, a cynical guy. I wouldn't think he would be a crying kind of guy. You know those kind of guys. You know, they're just probably not criers. They're not going to be easily motivated by emotion. But in his commentary, he writes about the emotions he had when his father would go out of town. And he says that's not very often. But when his father went out of town, his mother was in charge of family worship and leading the children in prayer. And so his mother would call all the children on their knees and they would begin praying. And he was the youngest. He was the babe of the family. He was the last in the batting order, right? And so she would go around and pray. And she would, he said he would hear his mother just cry out. For those boys' hearts, their lives, their wives, their future lives, their souls. And he said, as she came to start praying for me, it was the most disturbing thing because I would hear my mother cry out to God for my salvation. He said, he says in his commentary, it's just tough to be tough when you have a mother who is putting your name before the Lord God of hosts who is putting your name before the Lord God of hosts in prayer. You see what Ralph Davis experienced and what we need to experience in our lives, in our homes, is that mothers and fathers point them to the love of God for them. That we bring our children before God's love, His purposes, His redeeming love. See, prayer is God's gift to remember His grace and to know Him as He is and to know who you are in Him. Mothers and fathers, do you, do you pray with your children or for your children? Have your children heard you pray? Have you heard, have they heard you call out to the God of all salvation, the Lord God of hosts? Would you save my son, my daughter, my mom, my dad, my grandmother, my grandfather? Have they heard you cry out and weep bitterly for those who are lost within your homes and in your families? What an all-encompassing difference that might make if we were to bring our lives honestly before the Lord in private, but even before the Lord corporately as families together. How the Lord just may use our prayers, like he uses Hannah's prayer in her affliction, to shape the course of the future and eternity, because God has ordained prayer and praise even from the mouths of of infants. The grace of prayer is powerful because it is both honest and it is deeply relational. It is honest and deeply relational. Hannah, for Hannah, there is the grace of prayer. The last thing I want us to see this morning is that for Hannah, there is the great reward. What we begin to hear from the text is that Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And what we come to find out, it's not just It wasn't her actually being a mother that was her great reward. It's that God was her great reward. He had remembered her. He was with her. He was for her. He blessed her. He opened her womb just to prove that he is the Lord God of hosts and that he answers prayer and that he is work in the life and the history of Israel at this moment in time. The whole whole passage we see is surrounded by this idea of worship. This privilege to enter in, to know him, to call him by name, and to be known by him as his people. 
Our worship is always to be about God. We are to remember his character and this provision for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that this morning? That God is really your great reward. That the stuff of life, and it, you can't tell me this isn't the struggle we have. We, we love the stuff of life. We are looking forward to the meals that are in your crock pots or the places you're going to eat after that. You are thinking more about that than you are thinking that God is your great reward. I can promise you that. You know why? Because I have an eating ministry that's been going on for a long time. I love to eat. But the issue is, do you believe that God indeed is your great reward? Because if you do, no matter what circumstances, whether you're barren or you're fruitful, God is all you need. He is your great reward. He is the one who loves his people and calls them to worship him and to know him and to love him. You see, God is ultimately Hannah's great reward. And lastly, Samuel is God's great reward to his people. Verse 20, and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Samuel for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord Yahweh. Hannah's afflictions and her prayers were used by God to set before his people a new era, a new life in the kingdom of God. Don't ever underestimate what you were called to do as parents. However you use your prayers, who knows how God is using your life and your prayers to shape the course of eternity. Do we believe that? Do we believe our lives are tied to eternal things that our prayers aren't simply us crying out to God, but God is using our cries and our prayers to direct the course of history. And that is what's going on here. That the kingdom of God will experience power by the word that will be given through Samuel. And Samuel will be used by God to, to raise up a king. Ultimately, we know King Saul will fail. King David will fail. They will all fail, but they will all be pointing towards a better Samuel and a better king that is to come. And she, the text tells us, and she brought him, that is Samuel, to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. She did what she said she was going to do. She was obedient to the vows that she had vowed. She gave him over. She lent him over. She gave him back to the Lord. How hard and difficult that must have been, right? How hard and difficult that must have been. A woman who waited her whole life, who was mocked by all kinds of people, far be it just from Paniah, but but all kinds of people were mocking her, no doubt. And here we have the picture. She celebrated personally the redemption of what God was doing in in her life. And that her life and her redemption was connected to the larger story of God's redemption. That that God was going to use her son to change the face of humanity for the sake of you and me. All you have to do later on is for you mothers, mothers want, or women, mothers, mothers to be, whatever. Read how she exalts in the Lord, her prayer in chapter 2. And how she focuses her whole attention upon the goodness of of the Lord. I couldn't help but passing up, but thinking that here Ashley is being called to be your pastor, but he's being called to be your prophet as well. Now we're going to give him little prophet status because that would be very dangerous to say he has any extra revelation to give you. But if he preaches God's word to you and you hear the voice of God from this pulpit, whether it be mine or his or anyone else's, then God is showing himself to be faithful to you, that he is still speaking to you that he still loves you. So don't ever forget when God raises up another pastor, 
He is raising up his word so that it might be heard and you might be encouraged. It's a good thing that God gives us preachers, pastors, little p prophets to remind us that he's the God of all salvation and redemption. Many of you know Ann Voss's blog and read her books. She's been a very encouraging uh, comfort and, uh, to my wife as she has shared some of her blogs and writings. And she reflects on Mother's Day. This was about two or three years ago. She was thinking about what Mother's Day meant for her. And I just want to read this to you. Try to follow along, ladies, and see if you can identify. But, men, if you can't identify with some of these things, you've got some issues too, right? So hear, hear what Ann Voss says about Mother's Day. Yeah, if you're being gut honest here, you don't really want the cards or the flowers. What you really want is to be extraordinarily, obviously good at this. I mean, at the mothering thing. You wanted to be the best at this. You wanted to take the podium and the gold medal in, in, in mothering. Not take a million timeouts behind some locked bathroom door, turn on the water so no one hears your sobbing at the mess this whole shebang is, and how you'd like to run away. Ask me how I know, honest, you wanted to be more. You wanted to be more patient. You wanted to be more flashy or had flashes of wisdom in the heat of the moment. You wanted a do-over. You wanted to be better. But now what you really want, desperately, wildly, in spite of everything, is for your family to remember the good, to remember remember enough of the times you whispered, I love you, to know how many times you you broke their heart and, and how hard you really tried. All I want, right, question mark, is for your family is to feel a deep sense of safety that they are safe to trust people, safe to dream large, safe to believe, safe to try, safe to love large and go fly. You need to know that you haven't wrecked that. So she says, so could someone just wrap up a little bit of grace for me, right? Can somebody like a package wrap up a little grace for me? You see, what every mother wants, her most unspoken need is a truckload of grace, a truckload of grace, grace that buries her fears that her faith wasn't enough and her faults were too many, grace that washes her dirty wounds and the wounds of the devil himself, his lies away, grace that says she doesn't have to try to measure up to anyone or anything else because Jesus came down and he measures her as good enough, as worthy enough, as loved more than enough. You see, Grace embraces you before you prove anything. And after you've done everything wrong, grace holds you when everything else falls apart and whispers that everything is really falling together. Let me say that again. Grace holds you when everything else falls apart and whispers that everything is really falling together. I think like Voskamp. Hannah's life and her prayers reflect the grace that she needed. It reflects her dedication to a God through prayer and worship. You see, she saw things fall together that she could have never dreamed of. They were falling together because God is true to his word. Mothers, before you is a table of grace that invites you and tells you that in Jesus Christ, you are enough. It's a table that leads us to prayer. It's a table that leads us to worship. It's a table that allows us to dedicate our hearts and our minds once again to a means of grace that's only found in Jesus. 
For in Jesus, we find that grace is enough. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to be people who live circumspectly in our lives with this idea that you love us, that you are for us, that you are redeeming us, and that you call us out by name and we are yours, that you have never, ever, ever treated us like our sins deserve. And because of that, we pray that you would help us to pray. We pray that you would help us to worship. We pray that we might be honest with you and with others in our lives around us so that we might see how much you love us and have dedicated all things to us in Jesus. That is, you have redeemed us and saved us in him. And we pray this in his name. Amen.